Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I've got a great one planned for you today and there's lots to talk about, of course. Um, by the way, have you heard about a micro condo? Let's put it this way. Um, can you live in a walk-in closet? Well, so there are some uh, condos out there nowadays, folks. 277 square feet. I don't know if you've got a tape measure, but put, put a little chalk line at 15 feet and 20 feet. So 15 by 20, that's 300. So smaller than that. And by the way, um, $1,900 a month. Oh boy, where's the market going? Well, that's the reason why I'm going to bring in my experts uh, today, by the way, just so you know. Uh, I've got Mike Chesahoski joining me. He is from CBRE. You've heard him here numerous times, and uh, we are going to be talking about commercial real estate. But one of the main reasons why we talk about commercial, of course, is the fact that we deal with brand new condos and what is going on in that market. And a little bit later on in the hour, I'm going to be joined by the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. Yeah, you know him. Tim Hudak is joining me. And uh, of course, you can catch Tim here uh, tomorrow uh, on the Tim Hudak Show. And uh, always great to have Tim on and we're going to be talking about a few things that are going on in the market. How do you feel about uh, the uh, you know properties being developed closer to the transit? Yeah, that's right. There's a big hub there that is is kind of remaining untapped and we could turn around and maybe build some some more properties a lot sooner than you think and give you accessibility to the downtown core. So uh, Tim and Mike are actually going to join me for both that topic and, and I do want to talk with them about it because it's going to be kind of interesting. But other than that, um, you know, taking a look at February, of course, numbers were out. We talked about it last week, but I thought I would uh, kind of reiterate what's going on in the marketplace. You know, if we if we listen to the headlines, the world is coming to an end and we're going to go into multiple offers again. You know, this is the thing. There are so many different opinions in the market and it, it makes my head spin. You know, literally, I, I, you know, first thing in the morning, you know, but just give you an idea about 5 a.m i grab my coffee and i start taking a look at all the world news and then i decide to you know other than the romper room version of our federal government which always gives me a good laugh if they had a cartoon going on it but what i do is i try to figure out what's going on in the real estate world from the east to west coast and of course taking a look at what's going on weekly uh it, it will make your head spin and so even though you know i've been doing this well geez i'm thinking about 25 years um it's it's pretty crazy and uh so i try to you know pretty much decipher what they're trying to tell us so here's 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 the facts and figures the market itself yes uh, prices were up year over year from February 2018 to 2019 1.6% ooh not a lot but of course volume is down as is inventory and uh, you know can you blame anybody have you taken a look outside with the snow going through January and February? Does anybody really want to go out and look, or for that matter, list their house? You know, to have everybody track through their house with all that snow? Uh, probably not. And speaking of snow, by the way, for those of you that missed out on our simple seminar for February the 28th, I don't blame you, you know, um, at all. I, I, some of you did persevere, got through the snow. Thanks so much. It's been wonderful to meet you and congratulations on, on becoming, uh, you know, investors. But most importantly, uh, it was kind of a rough night. So guess what? You can go to thesimpleinvestor.com and register for the one coming up March the 28th. And that's a Thursday, 7 p.m. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. And uh, you know what? Hopefully we don't have any snow that night because that was pretty brutal last, last month. But... Uh, Again, the market is very interesting. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the uh, show here, 
My uh, guest joining me now in the studio is Mike Chustahoski from CBRE. And uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Always a pleasure to have you on. I think this is the first time we've been chatting in the uh, in the new year. And uh, there's a lot for you and I to talk about, actually. You know, when we take when we take a look at what's going on in the commercial part of the market, um, and and before I actually go down that path, I do want to say that folks, um, CBRE is the biggest commercial realtor uh, in the world, actually. Yes, it is. It's quite a designation, Mike. Um, you've got uh, you've got obviously offices throughout the world. Um, how many realtors actually are in the CBRE network? We have a hundred thousand employees in seventy countries. Wow, I mean that that is massive, and 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 you know in in the commercial. You know, it's kind of funny because when everybody thinks of real estate, you know, they normally think of residential and, you know, in, in when you talk about transactions and everything else, and I mean, in Toronto alone, there's 50,000, you know, agents in the, in the Toronto network, but to talk about commercial, you know, it's not quite the same animal. And uh, I do want to clarify a few things. I do want to talk about the market. I want to talk about some transactions that happened last year. And of course, a lot of things that are in the news. Um, and, you know, you're definitely the person, perfect person for us to have a chat with. Um, so before before we get into 2019, let's talk about 2018. You brought me this really nice, um, you know, booklet here. It's a nice glossy cover, 2018 completed transactions. You know, uh, when flipping through it, um, there was some, uh, it, it seemed like 2018 was not a bad year, apparently, for the, uh, for the industry. Um, did, did you see numbers that what you were hoping to see uh, in, in 2018? It was a good year. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't our best. But it would certainly rank amongst the top three or four in the last two decades. So certainly the activity was there and the size of the, trans the transactions were there. Right. So de definitely there was activity last year. You know, um, I, I think you and I had uh, touched on a sale. You know, I, 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 don't, I can't remember if it was one acre or two acres of land. Uh, was about a year and a half ago, maybe? Uh, one acre. One acre for 100 million or something crazy? point four. Right. Wow. Now, <clears throat> when we talk about commercial real estate, um, just, just for clarity, because, you know, I, I'm looking at, you know, uh, 2018 transaction totals and, and you know grand total of about a half a billion but uh, there was there was some some big transactions that actually happened in the world of commercial real estate and, and of course commercial for for those of you out there uh, is can be land we can also talk about apartment titled properties we can talk about um, office buildings you know I mean obviously there's there's billions of dollars of transactions that are happening yes um, when when we when we take a look at the big picture you know 2018 of course um, it felt like you know uh, the brakes were applied in the residential um, you know market, of course. But it, uh, you know, as you and I had uh, talked over the year, you know, it seemed like it. It really, you know, with the the stress test, that doesn't have an effect on commercial real estate, you know. But still, you know, lenders I think were checking up on on some of the transactions. Would that be a pretty good assessment uh, over 2018? Certainly, the single family home market, uh, new and resale, felt that stress test. Uh, the balance of the market, including condos, really didn't flinch. Right. So if we're if we're going to talk about uh, transactions, for example, um, you know, one one of the things, of course, when we talk about commercial real estate, is the fact that we've got new builders; they're turning around building the condos. Um, roughly, do you know how many projects are underway in the GTA right now? Well, we have a significant amount under construction today. Right. So right now, for this year, there's slated to be completed 30,000 units. Okay. 
we can't really reach those totals. Generally, we can build somewhere between 15 and 20. Right. So some of those units will spill off over over until next year. Right. But I expect there's somewhere between 20, low 20s, 22,000 units to be completed this year. Yeah. One, one of the things that uh, we did find um, was that uh, looking at the big picture, um, you know, we saw some cancellations last year. And, you know, that upset a few of those, those first-time buyers, some of the people that were looking at, um, at buying. You know, we, you, you had, you know, people that were announcing condominium sales and, you know, they had, people had purchased a few years before that. And the builders had actually canceled the transactions. Is, is this something that people have to be a little bit leery of in the future? I mean, you know, we saw, I think, maybe 3,000 units in total, uh, you know, came off the books. Um, is it something that we could see in the future? Yes. You, you're going to see a number of projects canceled still this year. Right. I think uh, the cost run-up over the last 18 months has made it uneconomical to build those units. Uh, the builder sold too soon, too cheap. Uh, maybe there was a delay uh, to commence construction. So I do think you're going to continue to see projects canceled. Yeah. You know, and, and of course, you know, everybody everybody had their deposits returned to them, which is, you know, obviously a positive thing. But um, a couple of things in, in the news of late, and, and I noticed that uh, one of the builders um, was not accepting people's waivers for their conditions. So the builder was saying, no, we need more proof, more proof. And, and the banks were sending them saying, you know, here, we, we're, we've got a firm approval. And it was because the builder was trying to break the contract. And they kept pushing people to the point where there was 115 units sold. They, uh, they basically got everybody to go backwards, about 90 of them. And ultimately, in the end, the builders now turned around and said, well, we're, we're going to be flipping it over to apartment title because the rents have gone up so much. I think, I think there was this mindset. Um, and again, you know, it, a concern, obviously, for everybody that is, is out there buying uh, brand new construction. Is there, kind of a, is there kind of like a little checklist people should be looking for when they're talking to some of these new people, some of the new builds? I think they have to look at the, the history of the builder. Uh, certainly, if the builder has never done high-rise before, That'll always be a concern. I think that you can look at the status of the approvals of the property and look at is zoning in place, is site plan in place, are they pre-selling too early, um, have they built any projects recently, how many have they sold, and really do your due diligence on the builder themselves. Is this their first big project? If it is, you should have some concerns about the viability. Right. You know, and, and that, that's the thing. Again, you know, people, if you do your due diligence. But, you know, one of, one of the things I also want to encourage all of our listeners, of course, is that when you're doing the agreement of purchase and sale and you're buying a brand new condominium, make sure you read it. Now, you know, everybody's advised to have their solicitor go through it. Of course, it's conditional on the solicitor's approval when they take a look at it. But they need to read it so they have a better understanding because the builder has the right to delay the actual closing date and they also have to talk about interim occupancy and I think that one of the most important things for people to understand is what that agreement of purchase and sale actually says and, and they're, they're quite extensive you know they're, they're 40 50 pages long yes. and, and a lot of it's built up to, to protect the builder um, Mike we're gonna go to a quick commercial but I do uh, I do want you to stay put when we come back folks we've got Mike more, more with Mike Chesahoski from CBRE hey, so and welcome back if you're just tuning in my guest this hour is Mike Chesahoski and he is the 
executive vice president of CBRE. And uh, Mike, just before the break, you know, we were just having a quick chat about new construction, the ability for obviously uh, some builders to cancel. Uh, you know, and we, we've talked about this. You and I have even talked off air a fair bit about this. That you know, there will be more. And folks, you know, it, it's not that we are the doomsayers. It's just it's more real reality because of the costs, the red tape, the financing, everything. There's lots of reasons why builders will cancel. Sometimes it does come down to dollars and cents and it's just not affordable for them to build. But Mike, one of the things that you and I have talked about obviously is the Ontario government and Mr. Ford. And um, you know, I think uh, I think there's a lot in the air right now about uh, real estate here in the province of Ontario. And you know, are they doing a good job? Are, are, are they doing what they promised? How about that one? They are doing what they promised. And I think they are looking at realistically what to do to save money and to get you know excess assets, surplus assets out of their hands and into the hands of the public so it can be developed and take that cost off the books. And they are looking to loosen up places to grow, the previous legislation, to make it more realistic, not only for um, intensification, uh, which didn't work in the small towns, but conversion of employment uses within certain municipalities where those employment uses aren't a priority anymore. Well, so if if we if we look at red tape, for example, you you know I've had this discussion you know uh, numerous times. You know if 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 somebody wants to build something, you know they have to think ten years down the road, basically, as far yeah. as a closing. Um, are are they doing anything to to mitigate that? Because I know that's one of the biggest complaints in the building industry is the fact that you know just getting through the bureaucracy of everything, you know you can you can get caught up, um, you know in, in in different levels for five six years before you even know you're going to break ground. The government is speaking both to the private sector and to the municipalities, and I do think you're going to see them come out with ways to improve things. They 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 are going to encourage the municipalities through various means mm -hmm. to act more diligently towards these applications. What about a little bit more independently? Because obviously the OMB goes by the wayside. Um, where where are the municipalities at now? Or do they have more power to say yay or nay? I believe so. Under right. LPAT, definitely I've seen a difference in attitude. And a lot of us don't know how LPAT exactly is going to uh, work through the entire process. So uh, definitely there's been a change. Yeah, because, you know, there are those parties out there, and I, and I always think that it's the opposition that are saying, you know, oh, we don't have an inventory problem. We don't have an inventory problem. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but <clears throat> when we see, you know, hundreds of thousands of people immigrating into Ontario a year, you, you can't just negate the fact that, you know, we can only produce, as you said, right now, if we're lucky, we're going to pull off 15 to 20,000 condominiums being completed within a fiscal year. Um, but the demand is probably more along the lines of 40 to 50,000. So you're, you're always in a, in a negative from, a, from an inventory standpoint. You know, this, this vacancy rate, we're, we're, we're below 1%. Uh, in in Toronto, um, in in the greater part of I would say Ontario, it's pretty much floating around one or two. So, you know, th this is this historically low. We just don't have the inventory, but yet we've got a government, a previous government, that didn't want to acknowledge that this was truly the problem. Is our our new government? Yeah, you know, look, they're a year old now, coming up. Um, are are they are they really putting forth the right the right I guess uh, mindset and the right attempt to get there? I believe they know what the problem is. This is simply an inventory problem that could only be solved by making it easier to get approvals. 
So today we're selling, you're, you're right, around 30,000 units a year. We can deliver 20. So definitely there's, there's a backup and we're having problems with trades and having people to actually work on site. The government knows the problem. They know it's a simple supply problem. They're looking at ways to solve it. You know, you, know, you just touched on something and I think that's a great point. You talk about trades, um, you know, obviously, you know, we, we, we've got the unions in the, in the building departments, obviously. And one of the things obviously floating in the air this year, 2019, is the fact that they could be coming up into a strike position. You know, some of the contracts have to be renewed. You know, one of, one of the thing, comments I've been able to get from some of the developers is the fact that they really struggle getting trades. And it seems that if, if it's not new Canadians coming in with trades, a lot of the youth are not gravitating towards trades. And yet, you know, there's so much, you know, potential with these trades, especially with the inventory shortage that we have. You know, the building industry is going to be amazing, I think, for the next 20, 30 years. I think definitely our youth should be looking at it as an alternative to just going to university and getting that job where you sit in the cube for forty or $45,000 a year. I told my olden son, there's nothing wrong with being a plumber, an electrician, and getting rich. <laughs> You almost made it sound like a bad thing, but but the truth is, is that it's a necessity. Um, you know, we can and 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 one of the things that I think people have to recognize is the fact, you know, you and I both have you know our, our phones. I sit in front of a computer monitor. You know, people turn around and send me emails every single day. But the fact is, is that the the actual technology can't advance so far that you know the plumbing will just disappear into thin air. I mean, we're going to need plumbing. We need water. We need waste. We need electricity. We need, we need, you know, wiring. We need everything like technology. As I, as I say, uh, you know, everybody's going to need a roof over their head, no matter what in this, in this lifetime, technology will not change the fact that you need a roof over your head. It's not possible. Okay. We can't just hypothetically turn around and go on the keyboard and all of a sudden a roof goes over our head. So at this stage in life, I think that, you know, looking at the trades is one of the, you know, one of the things. Can the government, you know, because I mean, we're, we, again, we're talking about shortage of properties. We're talking about a shortage of dwellings. Can the government also do something to encourage the trades, you know, uh, and, and, and make it more, you know, palatable, make it, make it that, uh, you know, they get more compensation that doesn't cost them as much to go to school? I think exactly that. Education, apprenticeship programs. All that, they can give incentives for the large builders to offer more and have the colleges offer those courses and encourage young people to go into them. Um, I'm a strong believer that with the right education, it should be free. So if we need these type of trades, if we need a certain profession, the government should be subsidizing that that much more in the education side of it than you know, something that we don't really require. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great point. Um, so we've got lots to talk about yet. Uh, Mike, I'm going to ask you for, to, to hang on. Uh, folks, uh, it's, uh, I've got Mike Chesowski with me uh, from CBRE, and uh, we're definitely talking about building. If you were thinking, by the way, of buying brand new uh, condominium, just take a look at the timeline. It may take a little bit longer than anticipated. Anyways, when we come back, we've got more, so stay with us. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest this hour is Mike Chesahosky, and he is the Executive Vice President at CBRE. Um, Mike, so far we've had a great conversation. And folks, if you want to pick it up, go to uh, News Talk 1010's uh, website. You can go to Simply Real Estate, my page, my homepage, click on it, and you can download any show that we've had. But this week, you definitely want to pick up on it. 
Uh, we are talking about commercial real estate. We are talking about condominiums and buildings. Why are they not getting up as fast as they can? Why should they? Um, hey, Mike, you know, one of the things that I saw in the news this week, uh, of course, was Vancouver is running out of commercial real estate, apparently. They, they figure by 2020, they will have absolutely nothing left. And it's because, of course, being such a small marketplace, like geographically, uh, you know, it's just they're, they're, they're kind of maxed out. Um, is, is the theory going up is going to start coming into play a little bit more? You know, older buildings being knocked down for new buildings. I mean, we, you know, here in Toronto, we saw that happen uh, in a few areas where we saw a couple of older apartment buildings, like on the East Mall, West Mall in that area. You know, they, they took basically a 25-story apartment building, knocked it down and put a brand new tower there. Um, are we going to see this kind of thing in the commercial business? Definitely. I, I think you're going to see those c-class buildings right. that are no longer viable that is aren't worth fixing up and retrofitting being torn down for a higher and better use for much higher density on those sites yeah which they should be yeah you know i mean you know take take old build new uh build up you know uh, i i always was a little surprised and you know maybe i'm being a little naive and i'm pretty sure nowadays with the with the engineering that can be done but you know, you, you, you take a look at some of the commercial real estate, and we'll talk more industrial, uh, you know, manufacturing, uh, warehousing, and, uh, you know, they always go really wide. They're, they're, they're very flat and, 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 you know, so 18-foot, 24-foot decks, but, you know, they'll do 100, 200,000 square feet. I always wondered why they didn't create a better system that they could go up and, you know, make them 50, 50 feet tall, but, you know, put two two storages, you know, two two layers. And we're not seeing enough of that because, I mean, out here in Mississauga, all you see is one layer. <laughs> That's it. You know, and there's not a lot of roof height out here, but I would think that down the road we're going to have to go up. I think you, as land prices increase and land becomes more expensive than the building, mm -hmm. I think you'll see them go up. And it's actual room. We still had employment lands available when those buildings were built. Yep. But, you know, I think in certain parts of the states, especially in the, the metropolitan areas, they're going up again on industrial buildings. Yeah, and I, I think, again, structurally they can do it. Um, you know, one of the things in the news, of course, um, I don't know if you've been following it, and, and hopefully you're not too upset that Pay Less Shoes is, is closing down, um, but also Gap. And so, you know, it, it's not, these, these companies are all going basically internet uh, design for, for, for sales. The Gap is closing a, a ton of stores, both the U.S. and Canada. They're going to be closing. And one of the reasons why, of course, is that they don't need to be landlords anymore. They don't need to be paying big big dollar rents. You know, we take a look at the box malls. Are these box malls, and, and I've always thrown this out there, I always believe that, you know what, get, get rid of some of the box malls, put residential on the sites and then put a commercial component you know put put your grocery store just as they've been doing in some of the Toronto projects but you know when we take a look out of the suburbs you take a look in you know basically both east west north um, we have that potential and I'm thinking that maybe some of our some of our smart centers and some of the guys out there should start thinking of you know doing a cross use does it make sense? Because I think I think more and more people are going to stop taking the big square footages for for their uh, for their stores. Definitely, our big landlords, Real Can especially, is at the forefront of looking at that surplus lands and possibly tearing down parts of their malls and parts of their plazas and using it for other uses. I would say residential is at the forefront, and they're going through and seeing where there is value over and above retail. In redevelopment. Well, you know, when when you think about it, because 
I mean, some of these some of these malls. I mean, they're big square footage. Like like they've got a lot of acreage that they take up. They've got the parking. They've already got you know sewers, water, electricity, basically pumped into the mall. So again, I think I think what it does is it allows them to have you know some of you know the the, the infrastructure already in play. Now again, you have to move tenants and everything else. But I mean, this you know if we take a look at a ten year you know shot ahead. You know, this may have to be a solution. You know, we see more and more of these malls. You know, you see you see a tenant move in, then they move out a couple of years later. You know, we we saw you know Future Shop drop. We watch Rona drop. We watch a bunch of these you know companies where you know they know that the internet works. Now we take a look at Gap. We take a look at Payless. You take a look at more of these com- companies, and I believe that we're going to see more of this. Um, you know, by the way, you can pass my name on to Rio Can if they want somebody to, to head up that whole thing. Because quite frankly, I think that that's something we need to consider for the future because again we keep talking about inventory 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 there is an issue here despite the fact that even though right now based on Treb's numbers that came through last month you know they're they're saying we're 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 kind of on the fence of a recession when we talk about the real estate market if if the market had gone down you know just a slight bit more they would have been saying Canada's in a recession but right now we're kind of teetering on that marketplace um, because of the real estate market what do you think? Are we are we there? Certainly not from the commercial side. We don't have the inventory to, to be concerned anywhere, both single-family home and condos. We, we're not sitting with huge inventories right. that concern me. And industrial, office, and retail have some of the lowest vacancy rates in the last 20 years. So my concern on a recession, if we had surplus inventories and large vacancies, mm-hmm. and it isn't there. And your sales cycle, because you know every every time one of your developers builds, obviously they they you know they either bring in a marketing company or they sell themselves. But you know you you still have the lineups. You know when 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 some of your guys, some of your guys are out there, they're they're releasing them. You know you'll you'll get the pictures pictures in the newspaper. There's you know uh, recently there was one in Milton, 500 people lined up for 100 units. You know um, ultimately in the end, you know there's still obviously an appetite for it, but. You know, we, we still know that there's a lot of underlying reasons, such as, you know, the stress test. Um, one, one of the things I, I made a comment to a couple of my other panelists before was that uh, I think that the, that the stress test should be brought uh, to a province level, not to a federal level. And, you know, I know you don't work uh, with individual home buyers, but you, you obviously see the effect of the stress test. Is this something that you think that we should be dealing with from a provincial level instead of a federal level? I believe so. I, I think it's too heavy-handed. And it should be looked at different regions and type of product. Certainly, it should be removed for first-time uh, home buyers and possibly first-time move-up home buyers to let them get into the market, make it more affordable for them, the ability to qualify for a mortgage. I think the way that kind of crossed the country, the way it was done, was incorrect and heavy-handed. Yeah, and and you know you when you take a look at some of the other provinces, they weren't they weren't str- struggling with people going out and 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 spending their brains out. I mean, uh, you know, let's go to the East Coast for a second. You know, they do not have the real estate market that Toronto or Vancouver did. But basically, the federal government came in one one fail swoop. You know, knocked everybody on their ass, and now we've got people that turn around and can qualify for twenty percent less of what they could originally. Hence the reason why you know condominium market has has you know gotten stronger. We watch detached and semi-detached sales drop because there wasn't as many move-up buyers because they just couldn't get qualified. 
Certainly, uh, when they brought that in at the same time they brought in the foreign buyers tax, it gave an impression to a lot of people that prices were going to drop significantly, and they put the brakes on buying new homes, especially single family. It didn't happen. Prices didn't adjust because we didn't have inventories that people were concerned about, that builders were concerned about. I would like them to remove the stress test, but at least remove it for first-time buyers and first-time move-up buyers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, 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 I'm pretty sure, of course, I, I don't think Mr. Trudeau's listening to the show right now. Uh, maybe Bill Morneau's, you know, picks us up on the weekends, but hopefully, hopefully the powers to be actually, you know, sit down and, and you know what, listen, we're in, we're in election year. So I almost think that there could be a little bit of glimmer of hope there. I think that maybe they're going to throw a carrot to get, to get reelected. And I don't know how you feel about that, but I think there's going to be some, I think there's going to be some promises to the home market in their campaigns what do you think i'm hoping they're not too distracted with things that are going on today oh is there anything else going on in the market <laughs> so i'm hoping they will remember that the typical canadian that home ownership is important to us and that they should pull back a little bit they've cooled the market artificially they shouldn't have done it but they've done it so let's pull it back now and get on with business yeah yeah, I hope so. Um, we're going to go to another quick break, but uh, folks, when we come back, I've got more with Mike Chesahusky from CBRE. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Uh, so just before the break, um, as you know, Mike Chesahusky from CBRE is with me. And um, just, you know, passing by the studio, fortunately for me, uh, one of my friends, and of course, one of the hosts here at News Talk 1010, Tim Hudak just happened to be able to pop in. And Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, Todd. Hey, Mike. Thanks for being back on the show. Yeah, always a pleasure. You don't know, love talking real estate. And of course, folks, uh, of course, most of you know that Tim is now the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. And yeah, I think he did something before, but you know what? We're not worried about that part of it anymore, <laughs> are we, hold, Tim? Don't hold it against <laughs> me. I, I did my sentence. I served my time. You have, and you're out for good pay. There you go. So, Alrighty. So, uh, so Tim, recently, um, Aria had had put together, and, I, and by the way, thanks for your office for, for sending me this stuff. I always love it that I'm able to take a look at some of the news releases that is happening out. But building around and above Ontario Transit Hub is key to creating thousands of new homes for Ontario families. And Tim, my question is, are you, I'm sorry, do we have an inventory problem? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah we, we do. Not everybody knows that, right? I mean, the, the biggest uh, problem we have is we have more and more people chasing fewer and fewer homes. It's good to have more people. It means that we're doing well in Ontario. We're flourishing. But we're not building the housing supply. And who pays the price, Todd? It's uh, millennials who are trying to get out of mom and dad's basement. It's first-time home buyers. And to a large extent, two empty nesters who maybe want to stay in the city close to the grandkids, but they can't find appropriate housing for them in retirement. So I was at uh, Queen's Park uh, just over a week ago with the Ontario Home Builders Association. The realtors and the home builders teamed up with Ryerson University to do a study around how can we create more housing by intensifying around major transit hubs. Yeah, you know, Tim, it was interesting because I, you know, I think I think a lot of people and one of the biggest problems, and and Mike, you might be able to talk to this, but of course, you know, when developers come in and they want to build something, you get the NIMBYs out uh, out there. They don't want more development in their own backyards, but because the infrastructure already exists, I mean, it is the perfect, you know, it's it's really the perfect scenario. Um, Mike, do you do you, do you do you see some of the developers nowadays taking a look at this and saying, hey, this is, should be an opportunity that we need to, to you know, look at? Well, definitely. I, I think transit is one of the most important things when we're, when we're doing condos. 
the municipalities should should set some parameters that that speed things up for the development approval process. And I think if if they need financial incentives, go to these developers and say, listen, as we're building transit and new transit stations, we'll allow you higher density development, but you're going to pay something for it, and that's going to help fund some of these transit work that we need. Yeah, Tim, do do, do you see the Ontario Home Builder Association being, you know, obviously partners with Aria here in this in this attempt to, you know, try to create some awareness to it? Do you do you see that as as something that, you know, the builders themselves we have to incentivize them, but we also got to get got to get rid of some of that red tape, you know, because this is this is the other part, and and I know Aria, you know, it keeps their eyes on this. It's uh, you know time from you know the to to get this thing thought of and then to actually turn the key in the door. I mean, we're talking ten years in some projects. Yeah, exactly. So to get to the bottom line of what our study was about, it's called Transit Nodes in Ontario uh, Untapped uh, Development Potential. We said if you went 800 meters, you know, within walking distance of major transit-oriented hubs, whether that's Toronto or Hamilton or Kitchener-Waterloo or Ottawa, you could actually bring 4 million homes into the marketplace by intensifying on top of them and around them. Now, we don't need 4 million homes. The estimate is population growth will mean we'll need about 1.8 million new homes over the next 24 years. We believe, though, that you could build 20,000 new homes if the government of Ontario had the courage to say, let's clear aside that red tape that you mentioned, Todd, and allow developers to intensify, build higher around transit stations. And it makes sense because it'll save people time and money because you can easily then hop on a subway, an LRT, or a GO. But you're, you, you know, you've got, you've got, and, and, and I'll use the word voters. Um, and you know, I mentioned about the NIMBYs, you know, not my backyard. And Tim, this is this is one of those things that you know, there are those people that look at their their neighborhoods and say, no, no, I, I, I want the open field there. I want this. I want that. But yet, you know, in 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 the second breath, you know, it's but but my kids can't buy a house. It's not affordable. I can't get them to live close to me. I mean, how how do you navigate that? I mean, look at you. You know, you are now the CEO of the biggest real estate association. You know, I, I don't know if it's in North America, but I know it's in Canada. But here's here's the thing. You know, as as a past you know uh, political figure, you always know that you know you, you kind of have to be able to. I hate to say suck and blow, but the point is, is that we need this. This is this is something that is going to become an epic problem, and not that it's not already. We have a vacancy issue, and people can't rent. You know, it's hard for them to buy. We've got you know, you know, over a hundred thousand people coming in the GTA alone every single year. How do you navigate this, and how do we get this to the government, if it's provincial or federally, to actually do it? Yeah. Well, in fact, we did take it to government. We were there at Queens Park just over a week ago, the press conference. And now we've handed it off to Premier Ford and Minister Clark. But, you know, you, you nailed it on the human nature. We say, well, I want my daughter who, she got her degree and she's got a job, but she can't get out of the house. So I want her to find a place and hopefully not too far away, but not in my backyard. I, I like that field or that golf course. And then municipal politicians always respond to that, right? They'll say, I'm more concerned about the voters in my ward right now than others that might move in someday. So only the province of Ontario, Todd, can, can do this. Yeah. So, Mike, I mean, one of the things that obviously, because, you know, you are you are front and center, you you've been you've dealt with the government, you've dealt with, you know, the major developers, of course, in, in Ontario here. You know, do, is there an appetite for these developers to actually, you know, play ball and actually increase the, the density? I mean, we, I know we talk dollars and cents all the time, but they also have to look at it and say, is it really worth it? Because you know what? The government's been a pain in the ass for the last 10 years. 
are they going? Is the new government going to make something different for us? Because again, some of these guys they've been slammed, you know, left, right, and center, and it's made it really hard for our developer group, you know, the privateers, the ones who should be the ones building this stuff, to get there. I think they're hopeful that the new government is going to act correctly. Uh, we've eliminated the OMB, but I do think, as Tim mentioned, the minister's zoning orders is something is that stick that if the municipalities do not act correctly and reasonably, that the province can step in and say, listen, we don't have the OMB, but we do have this that we can use. Yeah. So, Tim, when, when, when we take a look at it, you know, you and I talk uh, you know, re on a regular basis about, you know, what's happening in the actual real estate market. You know, obviously, there's the one other kind of, I, I'll call it the elephant in the room, and, and I'm talking more for first-time home buyers. of course, is the stress test. And, you know, I, uh, Mike and I were talking about it earlier in the show, we were, I was mentioning that I believe it should be a provincial control, not a federal control, and that, uh, you know, Mike had even brought up that maybe, you know, it should be removed for first-time home buyers. What do you think? I mean, you know, I, I know, you know, uh, from a real standpoint, you know, um, you know, obviously real estate sales are important, but of course using, you know, some, some smarts about it, you know, we don't want people getting in over their heads, but right now, I mean, it has made it very, very difficult when they put it back in January, 2018, you know, they really put it, uh, you know, a foot on the brake. Yeah. Look, I would take uh, any of those uh, opportunities. Uh, that you laid out there, Todd. Um, the reality is that the stress tests and other mortgage restrictions have become a, a noose that is uh, strangling the life out of the dream of home ownership. It is particularly cruel to first-time home buyers, to entrepreneurs, and to move up buyers when the kids come along. The federal government, I you know, I get it. They were worried about the housing market going up too fast in 2017, but holy smokes, they really pushed the pendulum way too far. And now the consequences are that people who would normally have a home by now, they're SOL. We do have an election coming up in October, so I hope that the major parties will put something on the table for aspiring homeowners to say, we're going to bring that pendulum back into balance. You know, you, you touch on that. That worries me a little because when you say, you know, the only motivation they have is for to get reelected. And, you know, and, and again, we know that, you know, federal governments have turned around and, and done things to get elected. You know, cannabis took a long time. If they offer out the idea that they could drop the stress test in the future, you know, I would want an absolute. Like, I, I, I don't want it them to sit there and get reelected and they say, okay, two years from now, we'll revisit it. I mean, this is this is a today problem. This is a, this is, you know, an impediment that is creating you know, a lot of angst in the industry, but not only that, it's making it harder and harder for even the rental market to move forward because you've got so many people that cannot have ownership. Oh, yeah, for sure. So people who can't then move out of rentals because of the stress test, you know, back their way into the rental system and people then who are on the margins can't find a rental unit to save their lives, right? So you make an excellent point there. Look, I wish it would happen sooner. I'm just guessing because, you know, big part of my job is to be an advocate for homeowners, for realtors and people who want to be homeowners. And I'm just not sensing yet at the national level that they're getting it. I think some of the MPs are starting to ask the right questions, both in the Conservative and Liberal Party. But too often we have these sort of high priests that run, you know, the federal agencies like OSFI that are out of touch with what's happening on the ground. They look at the numbers, they pat themselves on the back on the numbers, but they lose sight of the cruelty of the noose of the stress test of the people who now cannot find a home and are going through a daily agony just trying to find a place. Yeah. There, what a, a lot of people don't talk about, and we're seeing it from the developers, is a lot of people that had bought new homes and condos that were reliant on the old mortgage rates were caught up 
So nothing was grandfathered from the federal government. So they let, they let all these poor people that were selling their home and buying a new home stuck on both sides. So a lot of they created a lot of financial difficulty for these people because they slapped it on and these people were closing homes in six months or a year. And now they're getting to the point that they can't qualify. Yeah. And they've already bought the home. Yeah, that's a great point, you know. And and Tim, you know that that's that's a great point because a lot of people that did long term closings, they're they're going to get nailed with the stress test. Yeah, for sure. And you know the notion that somebody who is simply refinancing, who's paid their mortgage, they've met all of their payments, and then when they try to refinance, when the term is up, they get nailed with another stress test. That makes no sense at all either. Well, they get to stay put if they stay with the same lender, but that's the problem. That they cannot go out and search out another mortgage because if they go to another lender, then they have to go through the stress test. If not, they just re-up their mortgage. So, yeah, and anytime you, know, you get you get stapled onto an existing provider, there's no consumer choice. You know, There's no options, there's no competition. That is never good for a borrower. Yeah. Well, listen, Tim, uh, always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for, for swinging by the studio today for us. And uh, we'll definitely stay in touch and keep our eyes open for Aria. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining me this hour. It's always a pleasure. Um, and uh, folks, uh, that's a wrap. Uh, I, I want to thank Tim Hudak and Mike Chesahoski for joining me. I want to thank uh, Andre and Ian. They make it simple for me every single week. And I want to thank you, of course, for tuning in. And remember, I'm back next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.